Welcome to Roadhouse Minute, the podcast where we review the best bad movie of all time, Roadhouse, one minute at a time, and where we always try to be nice until it's time not to be nice. I'm Roger. And I'm Mercy. And this is Minute 7. So this minute starts with Dalton uh, being told for the first but not the last time that he is too small. And it ends with Dalton starting Mercedes. I'm just going through my notes from this episode, and the first thing I say is that right up front, we have yet another creepy smile from Tillman as he delivers his corny one-liner on the way out the door. He is really checking out Dalton, too, when he's mentioning his stature. Checking out Dalton? Are you suggesting that there's some sort of attraction there? I, I cannot say for sure. However, it seems like he's sized him up, not in the way that you size up a fighter. Why do you think he says that on the way out? That's a really odd thing to say to someone who you think is the best damn cooler in the business. Well, maybe because he thinks he's of legend. And so of legend, people are like Paul Bunyan or gigantic. So one of the things that is saving us in this minute, hopefully this will be at least of marginal interest for you, is that we have some credits. First off, we have our two film editors, Frank J. Uriosti and John F. Link Jr. Again, most of these people come from the Joel Silver tree. John Link worked with Joel Silver on four movies, Predator, Die Hard, Commando, and Roadhouse. He was nominated for an Academy Award for his work on Die Hard. His father, interestingly enough, was also nominated for an Oscar for editing. I don't know how many father-son pairs are nominated for Oscars, but the list cannot be very long. Interesting. And he has no more film credits after 2000. So I believe he's still with us. I guess maybe he's just sort of decided to retire. Hmm. Frank Uriosti also worked with Joel Silver on a lot of movies. Uh, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon 4, Roadhouse, Conspiracy Theory, and Executive Decision. He is a three-time Academy Award nominee. So between our two film editors on Roadhouse, we have four Oscar nominations. He was nominated for Die Hard with uh, John Link. He also seems to be in the Paul Verhoeven circle. So uh, Frank Uriosti worked with Paul Verhoeven on Robocop Mm. and Basic Instinct, and he got nominated for an Oscar for editing for both of those. He seems to really enjoy doing kind of trashy movies. You know, in addition to those movies that I just mentioned to you, he's also the editor on Tombstone, Cliffhanger. So, and he also did Conan the Destroyer and Deep Blue Sea. Oh. This guy really is at the epicenter of some of my favorite bad movies of all time. Do you think these folks are like producing these things and they're like, yeah, this is going to be a bad movie that will attract people that like bad movies? Or are they like, this has potential to be an epic. And then they find out that it's just kind of gone into the bad movie category that has a cult following. Based on my having watched all the commentaries that came on the special features disc with Roadhouse, I don't think Joel Silver was fooling anybody when he decided he was going to make this movie like he legitimately said to people up front like look this is not going to be citizen kane we're going to have a lot of fun we're going to produce a movie that's fun it's going to be a big hit and i know because all i do is produce big hits and you're going to have a good time and so my guess is you know he knew these guys from die hard he just pulled them in they got to work somewhere and so they just decided yeah we'll, we'll do our our boy Joel a salad here it sounds like a friends movie like we have worked together before we're coming along again. I hear a lot about um, friends that do things together and they like just kind of like continually do movies together. The next credit is director of photography, Dean Cundy. And you will hear me reference Dean Cundy a fair amount because Rowdy Harrington talks about him a lot. He's actually, he was 
interviewed for that 30th anniversary retrospective that's on the special features talking about his experience. This guy is a pretty big deal. He's got more than 100 credits in the IMDb. Hmm. Um, he's been working for a long time. He's been working with a lot of the most talented directors in Hollywood. Here's a list. So I just want to give you a list of these movies, and I sort of cherry-picked different uh, movies just so you can get a sense of just how versatile this guy is. Dean Cundy is a pretty amazing director of photography. Halloween, Romancing the Stone, All Three Back to the Futures, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Jurassic Park, Apollo 13, The Holiday. <sighs> I love The Holiday. I, I must watch that, but then I watched Midsommar. And Do you love it even more now? Now that you know that Dean Cundy was the director of photography? Well, it makes no difference to me, to tell you the truth. It probably Sorry. explains why it looks so good, because yeah. we've got this guy doing it. And multiple episodes of The West Wing. hey He was the director of photography. Just like all these other folks, he's an Oscar nominee. He was nominated for an Oscar for Who Framed Roger Rabbit. One of the hardest things for him on this movie was arranging the shots for all the fight scenes. Because mm -hmm. the, I mean, the, the hard thing about doing fight scenes, from what I've listened to on these commentaries, is that... Obviously, these people are not actually hitting each other. Yeah, and there's that thing that um, video can't capture, which is depth of field. So right. they need to play around with probably what's called blocking and positioning people. So when they throw a punch, it looks like they're actually hitting the person, but they're not actually even close. You are so wise. I bet that's Tell us more. Be I'm really impressed that you used the term blocking just then. Rowdy Harrington essentially says, I would not have been able to make this movie without Dean Cundy. Unlike those other two guys that I mentioned to you previously, the two film editors, uh, Dean Cundy is still working today. He's still got credits. He's still going. He's a working man in Hollywood. Impressive. I think we have to talk about this little exchange between Dalton and the derelict. As the man on the street? That's right. The dude that he gives his car to? Tell me what you think about this scene. He drives up and he parks along the side of the road. And I did not think that that man was a derelict. I thought really like this was the person that was um, on guard in the garage. I don't know why I thought Even that. though, uh, not to be too technical with you, but he's sitting on the outside of the garage. I know, uh, but it didn't. I didn't get clued in because I think because he's sitting on something elevated, that made me think, oh, this person is not a street person. I agree with you. I think when you see this person, he looks like he's pretty well put together and that he knows what's going on. Tell you what. He's got... I mean, he's got like a little jacket and a sweater and he looks clean. I would like you to tell me what it is that you think that Derelict says to Dalton when Dalton tosses him his keys. He says, what do I look like, a valet? You are absolutely right. You got that line right. I just wanted to see the way he says it is, shall we say, somewhat pinched. What do I look like, a valet? That's right. I love this scene. <laughs> you know, Dalton walks up. He tosses the keys to his beat up old car to this derelict. And then the best part is he gets excited. He, he gets up and he starts walking over to the car. He's very clearly going to get in this car and just drive off into the sunset. What do you imagine the next unfilmed chapter of Derelict played by Chino Fats Williams is like? Well, I bet he gets in that car and he goes and gets some takeout or something. <laughs> a little a little bit of like drive through McDonald's. Don't you think he dreams a little bit bigger than I'm going to go to Jack in the Box? I don't know. If I was somebody that was just sitting on the corner, that might be the place that I go. I feel like if someone gives me the keys to a, granted, not the greatest car in the world, but a pretty nice car that's in good shape and is totally free, whatever those dreams are that I could not even contemplate because I just spend all my days sitting here on the step, 
I'm about to get started with them. I don't know. If this person is homeless or living on the street, they probably have a mental health issue. If I have a mental health issue, I don't want to get out of my neighborhood because I know where I'm at, but I also want to eat. I also wrote down here that I think the grin on Dalton's face when he realizes that the other guy realizes that he's given him a car is pretty great. Patrick Swayze's smile game, I feel like, is really on point. Oh, Patrick Swayze is adorable. Unlike Tillman, who can only make creepy smiles, I feel like all of Dalton's smiles are adorable. He is um, a very attractive man, and you get a real good look at the length of that man's mullet from the side view in this shot. It's peak Patrick Swayze. Just in case you were wondering, because I know you are, the car that Dalton drives in this scene is a 1964 Buick Riviera. And I'm only mentioning that to you because in the Internet Movie Car Database, which will tell you anything you want to know about any car used in any movie ever, there are 27 pages listing movies that have used the Buick Riviera in this. Like single lines? They're taking yes. up single lines? I'm telling you there are 27 pages worth of movies that have a Buick Riviera in them. That's a lot. Is, including, just to kind of tease a future minute, this movie actually includes two Buick Riviera. Oh, stop it. It's totally true. We'll get to that at some point. I don't really want to talk too much about the Riviera because I think we do need to talk a little bit about the Mercedes. I forget. You've been watching these minutes more recently than I have. Is this the minute where we get to see the windshield wipers? Yeah, it's the big reveal from the front and there's windshield wipers on the headlights. So I know that you are very interested in the headlights of all the cars in this movie. Would you like to, would you like to grade the quality of these headlight wipers? I have no idea how effective these things might possibly be. If it's raining, rain is completely see-through. So really, what are they for? Are they for when it's snowing and icing? In which case, no. I think they're for making you feel pretty pleased with yourself for having purchased a new Mercedes. Are you kidding me? These things could not stand up to anything in New England. They would just get iced over and then they would try and move and they would break. That's never going to happen to Dalton because he always keeps his car covered or in a parking garage. There's never going to have a chance for ice to get encrusted on these headlights. They're very, the front grille of this car is very flat. This car, just in case you were wondering, it's a 1986 Mercedes SEC, which is, it's not the Buick Riviera. It doesn't have 27 pages of credits, but it is a fairly well-used car. It's been used in about 50 different movies. I'm going to point out to you that this car does have, undeniably, a New York license plate. Yeah. How does that fit into your theory of the bandstand? Well, here's the thing. I don't know necessarily if that means that they're in New York City or New York because he's been described as a traveling man. And if you're traveling around and your gig is not for too long, you might not you might not create residence and you might not have to get your license changed and your tax changed. My only pushback there would be if that's Dalton's plan to essentially be able to use his nomadic existence as a tax incentive, He has picked one of the worst states in the union to try to keep any sort of asset in. (laughs) My guess is that whatever the car tax is in New York, it's more than all but maybe four other states in the country. But maybe that's where he's from originally. That's a good theory. And he's like been vagabonding or working around the country at these 50 different places. And really, you know, he hasn't landed at a home 
and he's just spending time here, there, and everywhere. Maybe, maybe that's where his money has gone to is he has a residence back in New York and he's maintaining it as a rental property because you know Dalton's making money. I like all of these theories. I like how we're building this new backstory for Dalton. What do you think about the fact that he keeps his car covered even in a enclosed parking garage. What does that tell you about our man Dalton? Well, it tells us that he's a private person. Hmm. He doesn't want anybody messing with his stuff and he likes to keep things clean. I noticed that the car cover helpfully has a label telling you which end is the front. Did you notice that too? Yeah. That's good for people like me. If I had to put a cover on a car, I would need that label for sure. Well, and I think especially back in those days when the cars were not hatchback style and they had a enormous, gigantic trunk to them, the front and the back might look very similar. There's a couple things from the script. This is the first minute where there's really a big chunk of the script that did not make it into the movie. So let me just summarize to you what happened. There's a whole segment of the script that talks about his adventures traveling to Jasper. It involves him outrunning a cop. He also, in this minute in the shooting script, has a conversation with Wade Garrett, where he says to Wade, Hell, Wade, I'm way too old to start chasing women. What do you think about that? I've got more to read for you from the script. but I'm just so glad they didn't include any of that. I mean, it seems dumb. I agree. Here's something else. So I want to read to you this part, because one of the things that we don't see in the movie is there's actually a stage direction here of a scene from Dalton's room. Is transient traditional, but neat as a pin. It takes only minutes to gather up his stuff. There isn't a whole lot, but there are two prized possessions— a road sign that warns, quote, it is forbidden to throw stones at this sign, end quote, and a set of Japanese chimes hanging outside the open window. He takes both. That's interesting because I thought you were going to say a samurai sword, <laughs> which is also Japanese, right? That is true. And that they're Japanese chimes is just interesting. I feel like a Japanese sword is... A little bit too sophisticated a weapon for this kind of movie. Most of the people, if there are any cutting or stabbing weapons in this movie, they are knives. They're knives. They're small. Um, What do you think about the fact that Dalton's two prized possessions are this road sign and a set of wind chimes? Well, I think Dalton is very sentimental. I feel like he... He really, like like you said, the people and things that he cares about, he really puts a lot of time and effort into them. You know, these chimes to somebody else might mean nothing, but they probably were of his mother or his first love. Or uh, Okay, you did a great job. Since you brought up sentimentality, you probably guessed I was going to put you on the spot for both of those things. You've come up with a really good backstory for these wind chimes. Give us in three sentences or less the backstory for this very strange road sign. Dalton was in high school and he was out drinking on the one night that he got loose and he let himself get a little bit too far. He threw stones at that sign. The coppers came and then he realized like, I want to always be on the straight and narrow. I think this is the best origin story for Dalton that we've came up with so far. So he was a, he was a wayward youth and this incident in his life of throwing stones at a road sign is what propelled him onto the straight and narrow to become the best damn cooler of all time. You have gone a bit too far. He is not a wayward youth. He is a young man who decides one time he's going to try and mess around. Why do you think that? And that one time he gets 
found out by the cops. But I don't know how he gets that signed. Maybe he goes back as an old, an older man and just takes it. That's a good point. If he was in the process of getting like cuffed and put in the back of a squad car, he doesn't really have enough time to like. And you certainly wouldn't do that the next day. He might. You make yeah. bail. You're too hot then. Too hot, like you mean crime wise? Yes. Do you really think that the cops are gonna put this road sign under surveillance to see if someone comes back <laughs> to get it again? Maybe not. I, I do like that story very much. I think that that really could be part of the, the Roadhouse prequel. All right. I like this story that we're writing. All that's left for us to do is to consider Dalton's three rules. Rule number one, never take anything for granted. Expect the unexpected. I think that happened with the man on the street. That man was not expecting anything, and now he has a new car. You read my mind, Marcy. That's exactly what I have written down here. Your your three rules game is on point tonight. So let's go to rule two. Did we take it outside? Yes. This whole minute takes place outside. So good job, Dalton, for taking your action out onto the street. How about rule three? Were the people in this minute nice? Well, was gray suit dude... Tillman. Tillman. Nice to to say that he was smaller than he thought. I don't think that was a particularly nice thing to say to the person you're about to just put in charge of all the bar business. I think you're right. All right. I think think our man Chino Fats Williams, not very nice when he says... What do you think I look like, a ballet? That's not particularly nice. Well, once again, how often are you going to be sitting there and somebody throws you something? I think if someone throws you a set of car keys, as you're always telling me, Marcy, you know, instead of ready, fire, aim, maybe you should consider your response when you've just been given this gift horse. I'm always telling you that. For sure, because <laughs> I need it, because my whole game most of the time is ready, fire, aim. <laughs> Uh, and so I guess it goes without saying, but Dalton is being exceptionally nice in this minute. Well, nice. I don't know. He's giving his car to another person for free. Yeah, you're a right. A perfectly working car. He's he could giving... have left it. He could have just left it in the parking garage. Yeah, it's nice to give people your things you don't want. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Roadhouse Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Come and join us on Facebook at The New Double Deuce. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at at RHMinute. And you can email us at DaltonSaysBeNice at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, be nice. Bye now. Bye.